In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. On a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate, how would you rate yourself as being rich toward God? 1 being very poor toward God and 10 being very rich toward God. But what do we mean by being rich toward God? Well, that's what this sermon is about, being rich toward God. And indeed, that's what this parable is about. The parable that we find here in the 12th chapter of Luke. The parable Jesus told the man who came up to him and asked Jesus to intervene between him and his relationship with his brother so that he might divide the family inheritance. Jesus, however, wasn't interested in being like a Judge Judy in people's court. Jesus was far more interested in the man's soul than he was in an estate arbitration. So Jesus told him a parable about this rich man who, regardless of what he said about God, lived as a practical atheist. That is, he lived as if the things that happen in this world, events and our possessions, all of this world, are all that matters. A man that whom, in the end, Jesus called a fool. But we need to see that this parable is for men and women of all ages, rich, poor, somewhere in between, even professed Christians who so easily lean toward practical atheism, what Richard Niebuhr termed, this world is all there is, ism. The parable tells of a man whose whole life, the passion of his life consisted of planning up and storing up goods and funds for many years so that when he finally came to his retirement years, Things would be easy for him and comfortable for him. But God said to him, Fool, but you see that this night your soul will be required of you and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. But let's be sure to point out with some emphasis that making provisions for yourself and for your family is not a bad thing. Indeed, we are wise to make provisions for the future. But God, but, G, but Jesus is painting a picture here of a man whose mind is totally and completely absorbed on worldly things, not even thinking about things eternal. It never occurred to this man that he might not live to see the end of the day. You know the old saying, that which does not kill me will only make me stronger. Well, the reality of the situation is more like a cartoon drawing of a tombstone that I saw the other day that said, that which does not kill me only postpones the inevitable. (laughs) And as a constant reminder of this, I have on my computer desktop, James 4, beginning verse 13, which says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, whereas you do not know about tomorrow. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and we shall do this or do that. At any rate, this man in the parable was so totally 
a victim of this world is all there is ism that it never occurred to him that he might not live to see the next day and that the one thing needful in this life has absolutely nothing to do with worldly possessions. Leo Tolstoy, the great Leo Tolstoy, once wrote a story about a farmer who was not satisfied with his lot in life. He wanted more of everything. One day he received a novel offer. For a trivial sum, he could buy all the land that he could walk around in one day. The only catch in the deal was that he had to be back to his starting point before sunset. So, quote from Tolstoy, early the next morning he started out walking at a fast pace, faster and faster. By midday he was very tired, but he kept going and going, covering more and more ground. Well into the afternoon he realized that his greed had taken him far from the starting point. It picked up his pace, and as the sun began to sink low in the sky, he began to run and run, knowing that if he did not make it back by sundown, the opportunity to become an even bigger landowner would be lost. As the sun began to set, he came within sight of the finish line, gasping for breath, his heart pounding. He called upon every bit of strength left in his body and staggered across the line just before the sun disappeared and he immediately collapsed and died. Afterwards, his friends dug a grave, and it was six feet long and three feet wide. The title of Tolstoy's story is, How Much Land Does a Man Need? Very, uh, very wise financial advisors tell us young people to not just think three months ahead, or even three years ahead, but 30 years ahead. Well, Jesus is telling us to think a million years ahead. Because, to quote Don McLean, this may be the day that I die. And you too. Tonight your soul may be required of you, brothers and sisters. We should not put this out of our mind as though we were immortal. And the big question in life is not so much how much land or things you have, but are you rich toward God? Everything else is meaningless. It's vanity, says the preacher in Ecclesiastes. What has a man from all the toil and strain with which he toils beneath the sun? It is all vanity. This is the preacher, the preacher in Ecclesiastes' most frequent refrain. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. It's all meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. He uses that term over 30 times. And he not only just mentions that in a generic way, but he actually mentions the various aspects of life. Knowledge, wisdom, honest labor, political power. And in each of these things, he ultimately encountered meaningless. He tried everything under the sun, he said. A generation goes, a generation comes, but there is, and there is nothing new under the sun. It is ultimately vanity, vanity, all is vanities. But you see, the preacher in Ecclesiastes sounds modern because he so vividly captures the despair, the horror of living in a world full of people not rich toward God. Now, everything we've said so far comes down to this one central question. Is that how can we be certain that we are rich toward God? 
how do we know? Well, first I want to remind you something that Martin Luther said in the 16th century. He said, if you're worried about your soul, you have nothing to worry about. But more specifically, the Bible is crystal clear about being rich toward God. If Jesus Christ does not die on a cross for us, we are all bankrupt toward God. Never read a parable without understanding it through the lens of the cross. Never read anything in the Old Testament, anything in the New Testament. Never read any chapter. Indeed, never read any verse unless you read it through the lens of the cross. Because if you don't, you're going to get it all wrong. And so ask yourselves these questions. Do I have a sense of sin working in my life? Really? Do I have a sense of selfishness and covetousness and a smidgen of greed that contaminates my heart? Is the remembrance of my sin really grievous unto us? Is the members of them grievous in this? Can I honestly say with St. Paul, wretched man that I am, do I really feel unworthy to gather up the crumbs under his table and that I have zero merit to bring before God? And then ultimately, ask yourself, do I feel that I have only one place to go? Only one place to go for hope? One place to go for refuge? One place to go for, for cleansing? One place to go for reconciliation with God, and to that is, is Jesus Christ. And if you can say yes to those questions, then I can assure you that you are absolutely wealthy before God. And you have God's word for this. Second Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that by his poverty you might become rich. He who has ears, let him hear. Here's the bottom line. The natural human heart is always the same. All of us, every one of us, more or less, are inclined to practical atheism, getting caught up in the things of this world as if they were the most important. But this is vanity. It is all vanity. Is it the voice of a gloomy, imperious tyrant that speaks to us today? No. I tell you, it is with a heart of love that Jesus speaks to you and me today when he said, Fool, this night your soul may be required of you, and all these things that you have prepared, whose will they be? To quote the old song, softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. He is simply calling us to embrace without cost the immeasurable riches of the gospel, an incorruptible treasure which death, come whenever it may, is incapable of snatching, snatching it away. May God draw reluctant hearts and now give doubting souls courage to believe this. For Jesus' sake, amen.